You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. It is, uh, it is so good to be here. I am, uh, just want to say I am thankful for you as a church, um, our church in Muskoka, thankful for you as a church as we see what God is doing here in your midst. It is incredible. And, 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 and more than just the, what God's doing in your church, in your lives, in your families, even in your community, but how God is using you as a church to, uh, to impact other churches, to, to, to make sure that the gospel is spread in your hearts and families and also across our nation and into the world. And, and we're thankful for that. I'm also very thankful for your pastor, Robbie. I I love Robbie. Um, And and here's what I love about Robbie. Yeah, I love when I hear that Robbie's preaching somewhere. If I'm at a conference or somewhere where where he's preaching, I want to get to where he's preaching. I I, like you. I'm like seatbelt on, crash helmet on. Let's do this, right? Because that's how Robbie preaches. I mean, that's, you bring your friends saying, hey, come on out, but make sure you wear a helmet because it's going to, right, the word of the Lord is going to come at you. And and I love that. But here's what I love about Robbie. My heart is drawn to him because of his humility before the Lord. Listen, this thing continues to get bigger and bigger. What you're doing, God just continues to just grow this. And, and as you plant more churches, as this grows greater and greater and greater, my heart is drawn to your pastor as a man who says, how can I get lower and lower and lower? How, how can I just be before the Lord in humility? And it's, it's a unique thing. I'm telling you, it's a unique thing to, uh, to have a, a man like that in, in leadership of this thing, to be, to be in a place saying, I just want to see Jesus. And so uh, I know you do, but I would encourage you to continue to pray for your pastor. Uh, pray for, your, for, your, for those who are, who are a part of leading this. Um, this is a great weight to, to bear for sure. Um, but as you pray for them to be before the Lord as he already is, God blesses that. God blesses that. All right, hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 is going to be this morning. And as you turn to Galatians chapter 3... It was in uh, 1859 that a man named Charles Blondin, he, he traveled to Niagara Falls. He stretched a wire over 300 meters across the Niagara Gorge and then walked out onto that tightrope. And here's the thing, he didn't just go across it once and that was great. No, no, he went back and forth and back and forth. He took a wheelbarrow across. He walked on stilts across. He took a chair to the center and stood on one leg as the chair was on one leg. He even did this. This is crazy, but I read it in Wikipedia, so I know it's true. He went into the middle of that wire and sat down and cooked and ate an omelet. All right, the, the dude owned that tightrope. Here's one other thing he did that was just absolutely crazy when I heard this. He took his manager, I don't know how much he paid his manager, but I hope he paid him a lot because he took his manager on his back and carried him across the wire. Now, now imagine while he's crossing that tightrope, if the manager tapped him on the shoulders, hey, hey, blonde, and thanks for bringing me out here halfway. But you know what? I think I can take it from here, right? It, it would be ridiculous for him to do that. But the, in this letter to the Galatian church and to us as, as Christians, as followers of Christ today, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He's, he's blowing up one of the, the greatest misconceptions about the Christian life where, where we get that scripture is so clear that the gospel says this, that our acceptance by God is based fully, completely on Jesus and nothing else. Your acceptance, your salvation, your standing before God has nothing to do with anything that you've done. It's all grace, right? There's, there's no bartering with God. There's no adding to the work of Jesus, 
I mean, you look at verse 21 of chapter 2, just, just before we get into chapter 3, the last part, part of that verse, it says, if righteousness were through the law, if it's through what you do, if it's you doing good things, he says, then Christ died for no purpose. If being right before God wasn't about grace, wasn't about, about what Christ did on the cross, then Jesus was a sucker for going to the cross. Like if it was just about the things that we did, well, God wouldn't even have done that. He could have just yelled down from heaven, be good. Just do good things. But, he, but that's, not, that's not, not the truth of the grace. It's the gospel, which means good news. It's not good advice. It's not, hey, here's some things you need to do. Here's some things that if you do this, you'll have right standing. No, it's good news saying, listen, the victory's already been won. And that can be hard enough for us to get our heads wrapped around. But here's where I think as Christians, we quickly lose grace. Or this is where the, the church in, in Galatia quickly lost grace. This is where Harvest Oakville, we can lose this gospel. We can miss this. We think that grace got me into the room. Grace got me out onto this wire, but I can take it from here. To stay in this room, I, I better work harder. We get the idea that, that I was invited to the party by grace alone. I brought nothing to this party. I, I was a nobody. I was, I was wrecked and broken and unloved and unlovable. And, and I, the Bible says that before you come to God in Christ, that you're an enemy of God. I get it. I'm invited only by grace. But then we get into this party and we think so quickly, now I have to start working harder. Thank you, Jesus, for getting me onto the tightrope, but I think I need to take it from here. And we get this idea that, well, well God demands perfection of me, so, so what do I need to do? I need to press in and be perfect. And listen, the truth of the gospel is that because of Christ, when you put your faith in him, you are made perfect. You're declared righteous. You, you have God's spirit now in you for you to submit to, to walk by in his power, to daily be transformed into the image of Christ. And we get that God's grace brought us new life, transformed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, brought us from death to life. But here, here's the, the, the point about grace is that it's not just at that point where we need grace, it's now to live this life we need grace. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point. I need grace to live just as much as I did to come alive. I need grace to live just as much as I did to come alive. And, and this is Paul's point through this letter to the church in Galatia. If, if it was an email, he would be typing this in all caps. This is a, a very fired up letter he's sending. And it's interesting to know, I mean, Paul wrote letters to different churches, right? And if you, you've read the New Testament, you know that the Corinthian church, that was a messed up church. Right? They're getting drunk during communion. They, they had sexual sin in that church that he, Paul said, even the world looks in and goes, that's messed up. And yet this letter to the Galatian church, Paul's even more fired up than that. What's he writing But he's, he's saying all through this letter, hey, hey guys, stop messing with grace. Stop missing the gospel. He's saying, listen, Jesus took the chains off your neck. Why are you putting them back on? Jesus set you free. Why are you checking back into prison? Why are you wanting to go back into bondage? Why are you swimming back across the Red Sea to go back into slavery in Egypt? You've been set free in Christ. Why do you want to live in this bondage? And then the church here in Galatia, they knew the truth of grace. They knew that God had accepted them only through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
But now here they're caught trying to do better, strive harder, work more at being good enough. I mean, how many of us struggle with this too? Like maybe, maybe this morning you, you come into church and you kind of look back over your week and you, you think, you know, I, I've actually done pretty well this week. I've, I, I've, I've served Christ well. I read my Bible. I, I mean, I'm here in the early service because I'm going to serve in the second service. So, so you know what? I've done so well this week. God should bless me. Or maybe you come into church the opposite and you come in thinking, man, I have not done well this week. I haven't been the best spouse. I've I've been ashamed of Christ at my work this week. I'm struggling with a sin that I just keep going back to. I said things I wish I hadn't. And in fact, maybe you're here this morning, man, I even had a fight on the way to church. I mean, getting the kids in the car and I'm screaming on the way trying to get, we got in here late. We just threw them into kids ministry, came in already in the second song. And I turned to my spouse going, see, we're late again. Let's worship. (laughs) Right? Maybe that's where you're at. And you think there's no way God can love me today. And Paul says to both of us, Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Paul says to both, O foolish Galatians. He says, You guys are crazy. I mean, one modern translation of the original Greek says it this way it says, You dear idiots of Galatia. (laughs) The Amplified's not much better. It translates it this way O you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Now listen, Paul's not calling them dumb. To to call somebody a fool, it doesn't mean you don't have the knowledge. It means you know better. You have the knowledge, and yet you're acting in a whole different way. It's like you're given a car, but you think, I should push this around. Let's look at what he's saying. Let's let's look at the first three verses, and we're going to kind of go into them each each verse in more more detail. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I mean, Paul's so clear here. He's saying, listen, Jesus, by his grace, changed you, and he's still at work in your life. I mean, so so right now, I mean, how many of you would raise your hand and say, man, I still struggle with sin? Like, awkward question in church, like, can I raise my hand? Is that something I should do? Like, is somebody else going to, maybe I, right? Like, when you get the gospel, you're like, no, yeah, right here. Man, I struggle with sin every day. Listen, all the religion in the world, all the striving in the world will not take care of our sin problem. We need God's spirit today. I need Jesus just as much to live as I did when I came alive in Christ. I need him today, just as much as the day he he changed me, saved me, and called me his own. We never graduate beyond our need of God's grace. I mean, think about it this way, new life in Christ. It's not like a battery for a broken down heart. It's not like, oh, you know, I had a heart attack. Now I've got a pacemaker. No, no, you were dead. Your heart was removed from you, and you were given Jesus' heart. And the reality now of your daily life, it's made possible because of Jesus' heart in you. Every day, every moment, every decision, every action made possible by his power in you, his strength in you. I love how Ezekiel says it in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19. says, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
Colossians 2.6 says, Just as you received Christ, now walk in Him. Look again at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you receive Christ? When you received God's Spirit, what role did you play in your salvation? Was it because God looked down from heaven, saw your life, and said, wow, you are like doing, you used to be like a yellow belt of righteousness, but now you're a black belt, so you deserve my Spirit in you. Here's salvation. No, no, what happened? You came to a place where you tapped out, where you said, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't be righteous on my own. I need Jesus. And that's how this whole journey began. So how do we keep living this journey? How do we keep walking? It's the same way. Look at verse three. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He said, listen, you you didn't do great things to to receive this salvation. You responded to God. You trusted in him. At that that moment, you were transformed by the spirit of God. He's saying, stop trying now to become perfect by your own effort. Don't get to the middle of the tightrope and say, okay, God, I think I can take it from here now. I don't need your spirit anymore. I don't need grace anymore. Listen, the only way for us to live out this Christian life, to walk in holiness to live in the power that you've been created for as a follower of Christ is that every day you wake up just as desperate for the need of God's grace as you did that first day you gave your life to him. I mean, think of it this way. Remember the story of Peter jumping out of the boat to walk on the water. Or you can read about in Matthew chapter 14 where, where the, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, go out onto the Sea of Galilee. I'm gonna meet you on the other side. They, they start rowing out into the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up, this massive storm, and Jesus sees them. So he starts walking out on the water towards them. They see Jesus walking in the water. They freak out. They think it's a ghost. And they cry out. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, it's me. And so Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, then call me out onto the water. And Jesus says, okay, come on out. Peter jumps out of the boat in the middle. Can you you imagine uh, how much faith it took for him to jump out of the boat into the middle of that storm where he says, okay, Jesus, if it's really you, I'm gonna trust you with my life. And he leaps out. Right, that, that moment you began following Jesus where you said, Jesus, if you're real, I'm gonna trust you with my whole life. I'm gonna give you everything of who I am and I'm gonna follow you with all of it. I mean, how much did you need Jesus at that moment? How much did did Peter need the power of Christ in him in that moment to jump out of the boat? Because listen, that wasn't the storm where Jesus did the whole peace be still thing. Peter jumped out into a raging storm. Huge faith. Can you imagine the other disciples in the boat high-five and each other going, look at Peter. It's awesome what Jesus is doing with him right now. And then what happens? Peter jumps out of the boat and the scripture says that he begins to look around him. He sees the wind and the waves and the storm. He begins to think, hey, wait a minute. People don't walk on water. And he starts to sink. He doubts that call that Jesus said, come on out. And he starts to sink. And in that moment, he cries out. He cries out, this is, Lord, save me. And Jesus yells back, Peter, swim harder. Right? 
Peter, you're not walking right. You need to put your right foot forward. Are you goofy foot or right? How do you do? Right, no, he didn't yell out. Peter, is that your prayer? Lord, save me. Come on, quote some scripture. Speak in tongues. Haven't you read great books about the peculiar way you need to pray? Like, like you should have drew a, a circle around the storm. Then I could have answered. No, what happens? It says in scripture, this is so important. It says immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. Pulls Peter into the boat. And he says to Peter, Peter, why, why'd you have such little faith? Why'd you doubt? Now, I, I read that, I think, but wait a minute, Peter had huge faith to jump out of the boat into the storm, to respond to that call to come. But listen, he needed the same amount of faith to continue to walk in the storm. Look at verse three again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? To continue in this walk of the Christian life, I need Jesus just as much today to live for him as I did the day he saved me. Now thinking of Peter, why, why did Peter sink? I mean, in the story it's pretty clear, he took his eyes off of Jesus. He took his eyes off of where his help comes from. He started to look at the storm. In our life, when we stop looking at Jesus, when we stop looking to the gospel, to the cross of Christ, we start looking at our past sin and say, man, I, I can't do this. Look at all the stuff in my past. We start looking at our struggles and, and our, our, our troubles and our, our sin in our life. Listen, here's our second point this morning. I can never, I can never take my eyes off of grace. I can never take my eyes off of grace. I remember the first time I was learning how to downhill mountain bike and I was in British Columbia and the person who was helping me out were at the top of this trail, at the top of this, this mountain. And he says, Here, here's a, my greatest piece of advice for you. As you go down this trail, be sure to always look where you want to go. Look where you want the bike or where you look, your body will go. And so I start screaming down this trail and, and right away, what do I see? I see a tree that for some stupid reason had grown super close to the trail, all right? And so what did I do? I started looking at that tree going, I don't want to hit that tree. That's a tree I do not want to hit. Don't go to that tree. And I'm looking, and what did I do? Of course, bam, right into the tree. Right? His advice was, where you look, your body will follow. It's the same spiritually. Where you look, you're going to follow. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. He saw Jesus, looked at him, jumped out of the boat, but then he takes his eyes off of where his help comes from, and he's begins to sink. And look, look at verse 1 again of chapter 3 in Galatians. Paul says, you're foolish. He asks this, who has bewitched you? That word there, it could be who has hypnotized you? Who fooled your eyes? Who got you to look in a different place? Who has bewitched you? He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, put it on his own effort of how he could walk. The Galatian church takes their eyes off of Christ, off of the gospel, off of grace, and looked everywhere else. They looked to their own effort. They were looking to techniques. They were looking to themselves. And Paul says, well, why are you doing that? You should be looking where Christ was publicly portrayed. He's saying, listen, I preached Christ crucified so many times. It's like I took out ads all over your home and all over the, the community. I mean, it should be everywhere. Christ publicly portrayed. Apparently, Paul preached the gospel a lot. 
It's like, really, Paul, another sermon on the cross of Christ, another sermon on the gospel? Like, let's get to deeper things. And, and listen, Paul knew that, that the gospel, that the grace of Jesus Christ was not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is A to Z. It's everything. The gospel that says this, that Christ lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And then he died a death that we were to die, taking on our curse, our shame, our sin. But then he rose again from the grave and he conquered sin and death and Satan and myself. And now I can be called a son of the living God. And that daily now he's at work growing me more and more like him. We call it sanctification. And one day, one day, either through death or Christ coming back, I will be glorified like Christ. Amen. That's a place where you can say amen, Canadians, all right? We can do that sometimes. That's what Paul taught. He said, so clearly your eyes should never have left this, but they were fooled. They they were bewitched. They were tricked by false teachers who said, hey, hey, Jesus is good, but here's some other places you need to look. We can be so tempted to look at so many other things to save us, can't we? And it's not always sinful things. We, we always say, well, if I take my eyes off Jesus because I'm pursuing sin. No, sometimes it's good things. The false teachers were coming to the church here saying, hey, you need to follow the law. It's good things. You need to, go, you need to do these good things. We look so many places. Maybe you look to your marriage. I mean, if only I had a perfect marriage, then I'll find hope. Listen, your, your spouse cannot bear the weight of your soul. We need to tear up that that picture of a perfect marriage before it tears up our marriage. Our hope is not in our family. Maybe you look to your health. When things are going good health-wise, then I know God's at work and I can trust him. Or or maybe it's, well, if I I serve more, if I get into a small group, if, if I start to serve in the church, I mean, that's what's really important. I mean, where are you looking for your hope? Is it being well thought of? Maybe it's security and control when when things are safe. Maybe it's peace at all costs. Maybe it's your stuff or your money or or maybe it's I got to look deep within myself and that's where I'm going to find peace. And Paul's brilliant argument for all of this, to, to look anywhere but Christ for your foundation, his argument is this, you're crazy. To live without grace is crazy. If someone else, if anyone else, including yourself, comes to you and says, listen, you need Jesus plus this, you need to say, what are you crazy? All I need is Jesus. When you're bombarded with messages of find your hope here, I mean, you see it on TV all the time, don't you? I mean, they're not selling us stuff, they're selling us hope. When they start telling me that my razor will just change my life, right, if you use it, listen, we, we need to recognize and look at that and go, that's crazy, Jesus is all I need. Listen, I want a marriage that's, that's a godly marriage, but that's not my hope for wholeness. I want relationships that are whole, but that's not my hope. Our hope is this. Our hope is that God the Father has declared you righteous through Jesus Christ, and you are an accepted child of God. No matter what else you believe, Christ follower, no matter what else you've been taught, if you're in Christ by grace alone, by faith alone, You are Christ's. Again, you think about Peter. 
When he jumped out of the boat, Peter wasn't so much walking on the water. He was walking on these promises of Christ. He, he wasn't standing on the waves. He's standing on the character of who Jesus is. But he took his eyes off of the promises, took his eyes off of the character, and he began to sink. And when we stumble in sin, when we stumble in doubt, when we stumble in difficulties, we need to stop and go, okay, what is it that I'm standing on? So often we look at the sin and the struggle, that's what's causing me to sink. Look beneath that and go, where am I putting my hope? Where, where am I looking for a savior? Is, is my savior my family? Is it my, my wealth, my health, my security, my reputation? We need to take our eyes off of those things. And when we struggle to look beneath, listen, I used to think, here's something, I used to think I was a very patient person and then I had kids. <laughs> I'm not very patient at all. Right, so, so what happened, maybe if you got young kids, you get this. The time where I would lose my patience the most would be bedtime. I started thinking, man, why, why am I always so on edge? Why am I so harsh with my kids around that time? And you look beneath it. Go, okay, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. My kids are kicking down my little kingdom of peace. My kids are pushing against the idols of comfort. And no, this is my time now. You guys go to bed. I'm hanging out with my, my wife, your mom. So you guys, right? And then you start to, okay, my hope was in that. And it showed itself in, in harshness and impatience. We need to take our eyes off of those things we put our hope in and put our eyes back on our hope that is Jesus Christ. The story of Peter walking in the water was not to show us how awesome Peter was. It was to point us, to remind us that we have a Savior who we can fully trust. And, and think about what we know now that Peter didn't even know then. On the other side of the cross, what Paul is pointing us to all the way through the letter to the Galatians, he points us to the cross of Christ, that where we see that Jesus didn't just come into the storm, he embraced the storm of God's wrath for us. He didn't just come and walk on the waves. He conquered sin and death. He didn't just lift us on top of water. No, he filled us with resurrection life. If all of that is true, then I know Jesus can help me when I stumble. If Christ reached out to you while you were, as God's word calls you, his enemy, certainly he's going to reach out to you and you say, Lord, save me when you're his son and his daughter. If you're sinking this morning, put your eyes back on the things you were looking at when you jumped out of the boat in the first place. When you believe that Jesus was trustworthy. Maybe now, as a Christian, you're taking these bold steps of faith and you're, you're looking around and, man, things are hard. Listen, it doesn't mean that Jesus has abandoned you because there's a storm going on around you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have jumped out into what Christ called you to. We need to trust him in the waves. We need to see him again, hear him again. And take that next step out onto the water. So for today, maybe for you today, it's, it's a call to jump out of the boat. Maybe for you today, it's a call to keep walking in that storm, to keep trusting, to, to keep serving, to keep obeying, uh, to, to keep asking Christ, Jesus, where, where do you want me to go now? My eyes are fixed on you. I, mean, I love in, in Hebrews 12 where it says to, to get rid of every other thing, all the sins that so easily entangle, run the race, how? With your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Because when we look to Christ, we can do impossible things in his name. Yeah, we're, we're hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We're, we're perplexed at times, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never alone. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because you keep your eyes on Jesus. 
When you recognize I've got nothing in myself to rescue myself in this, it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Paul concludes his argument here in Galatians by reminding us this. Here's our last point this morning. I I added nothing to my greatest moment. I added nothing to my greatest moment. Verse 4 says this, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Your your experience with Christ, everything you've seen up to this point, it's pointless without Jesus. If you're struggling, it's pointless without Jesus. But he's the one doing it all. How how did you get saved? How how do you see the miracles happening? How, How do you see all of this? It's by Jesus. It's not by your effort. In fact, when you look at any great moments in your life, the things you've done for Christ, you need to recognize, listen, I didn't do any of this. It's Christ in me. It's all grace. I think one of the greatest arguments that it's got to be all about grace is just look into the lives of Christians. I mean, I, I'm around town sometimes and someone will come up to me and they'll, hey, hey, man, you pastor that church? Yeah, you know, I could never come to church. I'm like, why is that? Because church is so full of hypocrites. And I say, listen, we haven't reached our quota yet. We can have you too. Like, you can come. <laughs> I don't, I don't argue with someone who says, listen, I, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing because I look into Christians' lives, man, and they're struggling in things and, and they're, they're fighting with things and they're, they're having all these troubles. I'm like, yeah, you nailed it. The only difference is Jesus. That Christ is at work and, and he's growing me to make me more and more like him. And yet my pride pushes at that so often and I, I pull away from that, but Jesus continues to step in and transform and change Change where I'm going, change what I'm doing, change my heart and my loves and my passions to be all for him. And, and it's easy, though, after you've been a Christian for a while, where you can begin to say, listen, that's not so good that Jesus stepped into my life, but I think I can run it on my own now. I can make my own rules. I can govern myself. I can walk the rest of the way on my own. And Paul says, you're crazy. In fact, in the last few verses here, Paul calls three great counselors. He goes, hey, hey, let me ask some other wise people about this. And and from verse 6 to 14, he quotes three different Old Testament passages. Look at verse 11. He, He first asked Habakkuk. Verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk 2 4 here. So he's saying, hey, hey, Habakkuk, what do you think about this idea that we don't need grace? And Habakkuk says, are you kidding me? If you think you're doing it all on your own, you're crazy. We live by faith. It's not just starting the race. It's the whole race to the end. Paul says, well, let me ask Moses what he thinks. Now, if you're in the Galatian church at this time and you're someone who's trying to point people away from Christ alone, only Jesus, you're thinking, Moses, yeah, he's my boy. He's the guy that I love, right? In the Galatian church, they were called Judaizers and they were trying to get people, hey, follow the law of Moses. You need this if you want to be a part of this church. And they were really fired up about about a lot of laws. One they're really concerned about was circumcision. And maybe you're in the Galatian church and you're a Gentile and you're going, yeah, circumcision, we vote no on that one. And the Judaizers go, no, 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 Moses is our guy. So look what Paul says here as he quotes, starting in verse 10 there. 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Imagine going to work and your boss says, listen, here's the new rules for work. You need to be perfect completely perfect, and, and you do everything in this job perfectly. In fact, and not just that, but I got a new technology from Google. I attached it to all your brains, so I've got a screen in my office, and I even see your hearts and intentions, and those have to be perfect too. We'd all be fired by noon, right? And so Moses is saying this, going, listen, the law is great. It's, it's so great. Unless you mess up ever, then you're cursed, The law was never meant to be this this ladder of do these things so eventually you climb this ladder all the way to God. No, the law is a wall you run into and you die. Say, I need Jesus. He also, he asks Abraham. In Genesis 15, we we know who Abraham is. He's he's a guy who who God says, hey, through you, the whole world will, will be blessed because coming from Abraham's family would come a savior that would take on the curse of sin himself. And and so in Genesis 15, 16, Paul quotes it here. Look at verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That that word there, counted to him, it's it's a a banking term. It means your your bank account is full of righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. Listen, Abraham brought nothing to the table. Abraham was a total pagan. The law wasn't even written yet. The the thing that the Judaizers were so excited about in the Galatian church, circumcision, it hadn't even come into play yet. It came after, and yet God said, Abraham, you're counted as righteous. You're counted as though you have obeyed a law perfectly that wasn't even going to be written for another 430 years. How did that amazing moment happen? What happened in Abraham's life that he was counted as righteous? We're told in Genesis that God made a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham. Now, when you'd make a, a covenant in those days, you didn't grab a lawyer to write up a document for you. you know, what you'd do is you'd take animals and you would, you would cut these animals in half and lay them along a path, their blood running into the path. And you would, lawyers sound so much better right now, don't they? And you would walk down the middle of that path through the blood in between these cut up animals. And as you walk through it, you would be saying, if I break this covenant, let be done to me what was done to these animals. That, that's what they would do. So you set this up, and God and Abraham set this up, and Abraham's thinking, I'm going to walk through this this path, making this covenant with God. And it says in Scripture that God caused a sleep to come upon Abraham. He falls asleep. God then himself walks through the cut-up pieces of animal. Abraham wakes up, and I'm sure he's like, okay, let's do this. We've got to make this happen. And God's like, no, 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 no. This isn't up to you. It's been done already. It's not based on your works, Abraham. It's not based on your effort. I'm I'm not going to be, let let this be about what you bring to the table. You and I added nothing to that moment of salvation. We were asleep when God did the work. In fact, look at verse 13. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, God walked through the bloody pieces. Jesus was tore apart like he broke this covenant. 
He hung on a cross. He, he became a curse for us. And now God says, listen, this covenant is complete. It is forever. It's unconditional, eternal, irrevocable. Why? Because I never fail, he says. Because my character is sure. Because my promises are perfect. My name is perfect. Jesus lived the perfect life and died as this perfect sacrifice. So the greatest thing about you and I, if you're a Christ follower, has nothing to do with you and I. If you know Jesus, your heart of stone has been removed and Jesus has given you his very heart. And so when we come to that moment of realization, what does it do? It humbles us. We stop boasting about the things we do for the Lord. And recognize it's all Jesus. It humbles us to stop running into self-pity and going, oh, woe is me and look what I've known. No, instead of, instead of pride that leads us to boasting or pride that leads us to self-pity, instead we celebrate God's grace. We celebrate his love. We walk in his grace. I mean, think again about Peter. Here's Peter. Now he, he gets pulled back into the boat by Jesus, and, and he's in there. He's been rescued. And I mean, I thought the other disciples probably at that moment, if it was me, I, I thought it would go like this. They would kind of rally around and go, hey, Peter, man, you are soaking wet. You sank like a rock, man. But that's cool. I, I've done dumb things too. It's all right. Let's get you some dry clothes. Let's get you covered. No, you know what it says in Scripture? It says right away they started worshiping Jesus. It wasn't about Peter at all. Peter doesn't even sulk. He's not feeling unworthy in his sin. He just worships Jesus. They hit the shore and ministry begins again. I heard one preacher say it this way, Peter worshiped wet. Peter served wet. In church, I think that we, we can get this confused and a, and a lot of people come into church and they come in soaking wet and what do we say? We say, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You gotta dry off before you come in here. And so what do we do? Because that, that becomes the pervasive way we speak, we all start to hide the fact, listen, every one of us is soaking wet in here, right? We need to hear this truth over and over again. I need to hear this truth over and over again. You don't come and, and get yourself cleaned up to go to the cross. No, you go to the cross messed up, broken, and it's at the cross you're made whole. You're made new. Jesus says to Peter, let's go, Peter, we got people to minister to. And, and, and I can imagine Peter, but I, I'm not dry yet. And Jesus like, listen, listen, you're going to need to do this in your weakness because in your weakness, I'm made strong because it's not about you. Walk in my grace. And so we look to Jesus. We, we look to Christ saved by grace. Walking in grace, keeping the cross before us like a, a billboard. We preach the cross, we sing about the cross, we talk about the cross. We do that, why? Because we want to keep a clear picture of what it means to walk in grace, to walk in victory. And what does it mean? It means we come to the cross in that place of surrender every day where we call out like Peter to Jesus, save me. We surrender. We let God work through us and in his power. We trust in him. I mean, that's the life of the Christian. That's the whole point of Galatians is this. Listen, you need to see Jesus and submit to Jesus. Day by day, walking by the power of his spirit, submitting your life, giving up your control, waving the white flag of I'm in charge of my kingdom and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering to you. Now, I think we hear this idea of surrender, though, and we, we kind of get this weird concept that surrender is kind of like this, like, okay, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. I'm just going to lay to Jesus. I'm yours. I'm just going to surrender now, and I'm just going to rest in the Spirit. And 
Jesus, I'll go to church. Man, I'm not going to step out and do anything radical. I'm just going to rest in you. And I'll, I might go to church sometimes, and I'll, I'll serve a little bit, maybe even in Harvest Kids. And I'll, I, I'll give a little bit of my, my money. And, and you know, we're just going to hide out and huddle up and wait for you to come back, Jesus. And, and then maybe, hopefully, hopefully there's no suffering. I just get to live to an old age and die peacefully in my sleep and then wake up and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? That's not the Christian life. When you see Jesus, man, you jump out of the boat. You, you jump out into the storm. Why? Because you recognize that your greatest need, you may have all these other needs, but your greatest eternal need has been taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when you're called to step out in a situation like, man, I gotta share my faith at work. I'm scared. I don't need to be scared. Yeah, yeah, I might lose these other false hopes and, and false saviors of, of I want people to think great of me and I might lose that, but I'll never lose Jesus. So I step out. It is the Christian life about, sorry, yeah, it's about surrender. It's surrendering your needs and your wants. And listen, in your marriage, what's it look like to surrender to Jesus? It says, I'm going to love my spouse like Christ calls me to. But what if they don't love me back? What if they start to hurt me? What if those foundations of their acceptance get eroded away? I still stand on Jesus. So I still continue to love. The Christian life is about surrender. We surrender our flesh. We surrender ourselves. Uh, Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of mine, you need to, you need to deny yourself. And I hate that Jesus said that. Now, I wish Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my follower, you just need to be yourself, right? I wish Jesus was more like Disney. Wouldn't that have been great, right? Just be yourself, right? You're all snowflakes, so just be you, right? No, Jesus says, deny yourself. He says, take up your cross. Die to yourself. Die to your sinful tendencies. Die to doing it all on your own. Surrender that to Jesus. Surrender to his lordship, to his promises. And in the power of the Spirit, we step out in faith, trusting in his grace, Listen, this is how we overcome addiction. This is how we, we live holy lives. This is how we overcome bitterness. This is how we're freed from insecurity. You're dead to your sin because of the cross. And so now you have the power to say no to being prideful. You have the power of, to saying no to pursuing sin. The power to say no to going after those other false hopes and saviors. And the power to say yes to God in Christ Jesus.